You know, I was thinking yesterday that the Reliant K song that I find is stuck in my head more than any other song by a significant margin is Mood Rings. And I don't know if that's a bad thing. It probably is. And then I was thinking, like, you know, I'm sure someone could write a song like Mood Rings and have it be ironic. Like, have oh, it not be, like, is... low-key misogynistic? Like, you know, like, there are guys who, who are like, oh, yeah, women are so emotional. And, like, it's poking fun at it. Mm-hmm. Like, someone could write a song like that. But clearly, the Reliant K version is not... Is not that, but I, I also feel like, feel like it's it's not serious enough that like yeah. it's seriously misogynistic. It's because it is still poking fun, like it is joking. Obviously, yeah. the tone is very like haha, but like it's yeah. just not quite haha. It's enough. kind of in the same realm as like faking my own suicide, where you know it's like a gag and not serious, but it's also like just serious enough to be like this is weird. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. My own suicide is such a it's a weird a song. song. <laughs> I feel like that song was like my jam back when oh yeah I was in like junior high, and I'm like this sound this song has a really good plan that I'm <laughs> I should follow. <laughs> this is a great idea. I really like Two Lefts was an album I listened to a lot in like middle school high school and then i stopped listening to it for a while and so now when i go back to it like mood rinse will come on and i'll be like this is a really well produced song like this sounds good but it's not a great song it's so catchy very catchy and so it's like i find myself just kind of like seeing it in my head and then i'm like wait oh wait I, I, it's uh I, just, I wish they would like re-record it but, like, mm-hmm. make it more ironic. That's fair. They have, like, a live version that they recorded, but it's, like, exactly as ironic. It's just live. Yeah. I was hoping, like, to poke fun, like, almost, like, satire their original song. Did you know Did you know they wrote a book? Or at least... Yeah. I don't know if yeah, they wrote it. They... I think they produced it, and somebody else yeah. wrote it. About, like, relationships or something. Yeah, it's, like... What was it the complex infrastructure known as the female mind? Which is a lyric from the song. I kind of have to laugh, but I can't imagine what kind of things are in that book, it's, considering it's like a mid-2000s young male yeah. evangelical. Yeah. Josh Harris is shaking in his boots. Oh, God. The Josh Harris story is really fascinating. Too. It's yeah, I like how he just denounced everything he wrote prior Basically. to like. There, when it first came out that he was like, he posted on Instagram about his whole like, I denounce everything that I wrote. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm working to be better. Man, he was getting so much hate from everybody. Ah, uh. <laughs> like hate from the fundamentalists because oh, why would you say that? What you wrote is good, and hate from. <laughs> the left because oh what you're doing isn't enough right yeah and it's just like i felt kind of bad because he's like right in the middle of like there's nothing he could do yeah because the book he wrote kind of messed up a lot of people so i get 
why people are mad. I just looked him up in the index of Jesus and John Wayne, and he has like basically a whole section about him. Oh man, Which I can't can, make sense. Think about think about though, like we talked a little last episode about what we were like like five years ago or whatever. Imagine if we had written a book. Oh, about God. like relationships and how to be a good Christian oh. and how we would feel about it. Now. I was so I like I can tell you stories about how just psychologically warped I was because I oh my gosh, I, I was in such a state. This is like even my first year or so of university where I was like my relationship life and like, I don't know. I guess it's a fourth thing where you have like a high view of like destiny or whatever. Mm. And I was like, oh, any emotion that I have is like God given. And so uh, it was really dumb. And then like I asked a girl for coffee and she wasn't interested. And I was like, but I still have these feelings and emotions. And my conclusion was not I'm a human being and I have emotions. But it was like, oh, no, I still. God has still God has still given me these emotions. Was, oh God. I I cringe so much. That was your first year? Yeah, it was bad. That means I ugh. I mean to be fair in my first year, I mean I wouldn't say I was quite in my first year I kind of like I tried to to tone down any of my like emotional attachment to 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 relationships or the idea of relationships That's or fair. women in particular because like in high school i became way too known for like oh, being yikes. that guy who had a crush on someone else yikes see i just didn't talk to anybody about it which was like half of my problem oh i didn't talk to anyone about it because i didn't want to be known as that guy again so i just like i like i was interested in a couple people in first year but i never really like tried for anything like, I had crushes throughout my university degree. I just never really pursued anything, ever. That's honestly valid. That that might be the way to go. I mean, I grew up a lot. I'm yeah. also still single. <laughs> <laughs> you win some, you lose some. Speaking of which, I've been on Tinder talking to this woman who really likes Star Wars. So here's the thing. I talked to Glendon about this. I asked him what I should send. And... It was basically like a toss up between something between uh something regarding Taylor Swift or something about the Last Jedi. Both good and so options. I kinda, and I combined them and basically basically left her with the question like, "What are your thoughts on the Last Jedi?" And at first, it was like a a simple little reply. She appreciated that I compared her to Taylor Swift's folklore vibes, and then she was like, "I haven't seen the sequels, and I need to watch them again." And I'm like, "Oh, that's fine." And then the conversation just kind of like slowly devolved into her opinion on like Kylo Ren versus Anakin. And she kind of popped off. And I was very much taken aback. Is this like, is this good or is this bad? It wasn't necessarily good or bad. She just had a lot to say. And I'm like, I don't know enough about this. <laughs> you're you're very invested in this. It was like, what she said was my hottest take is that Anakin wasn't a whiny bitch. He was young and manipulated and he lashed out, but he was like a normal amount of upset for most things. And I just want to point out the wording there is similar to what Glendon, how Glendon words things, which was kind of weird. He was like a normal amount of upset. I feel like Glendon has said something like that, that in that, these episodes. Yeah, that would track. I could see that. But then and she was like, also compared to Kylo Ren, a way better buildup and arc. 
Hey. No, she's Ron. <laughs> I I feel like I kind of agree. I mean, Anakin got six movies. Kylo Ren got like three, three. kind of movies. Yeah. Well, I guess two things. First of all, Kylo Ren is also like Ben Solo is also like manipulated and abused and a bunch of different things. Like that is also part of which I did point out. Yeah, that's also part of his arc. I guess when you say Anakin Skywalker's arc, my thought is the prequels and not necessarily the original trilogy. And in those, like, most of his development is in episode three. He's just kind of around for the first two and then, like, kills a bunch of Tusken Raiders. And then in, like, a day or so, he suddenly becomes an evil Dark Lord. And it's like, okay. I mean, I think, well, that's not entirely true. I mean, like, you see, you can see the intention of what episode one and two were trying to sure. show. Yeah. Like, you can see that episode one is trying to show that Anakin is very attached to his mother yeah and then he gets he kind of i don't want to say the jedi council league manipulates him but kind of it's, it's intended to show that he's being manipulated into yeah. depressing his emotions and that comes to play very much in episode two when he becomes attached to padme yeah and then like like the the intention is there now the execution in episode yeah. two i mean i don't want to talk about that hair cutting scene but like oh my goodness um, the hair cutting scene but okay but here's her response to what you just said because it's pretty similar to what i just said okay she was like kylo ren was only evil for like a few years though he didn't go dark until 23 and died at 29 she had like dates and i'm like oh jesus that is impressive and then she was like and the first year or two of that was struggling with it and being gray and the last year or two was ray question mark (laughs) kind of true and then reading his pre-sequel comics kind of annoyed me Actually, her exact wording was kind of made me like annoyed. They made it seem like Snoke Palpatine groomed him from childhood, but he wasn't only from his early 20s. Mm. And I'm like, uh, I, I, I think we're a bit out of my depth here now. Ha, ha, I haven't fair. read the comics. <laughs> I haven't read the comics. I've just heard people on Twitter talk about the comics, which like, I don't know. I think part of the thing is Kylo Ren is never intended to be like, a capital V villain at any point in the story. Yeah. Um, whereas Anakin definitely is in like the original trilogy. Oh yeah. We see Anakin kill younglings even in the prequel trilogy. Like, yeah, he's exactly. Clearly supposed to be a villain. And like from what I understand, his back like like Ben Solo's backstory stuff, I would say almost too much goes out of its way to make him like the victim and everything. Where it's mm-hmm. like the big Jedi Temple thing. That's not even him. That's like Snoke that does the majority of it, oh. which I think is kind of dumb, but that's the text. And so, oh, and now I kind of understand why she would not like that. Yeah, because it's it basically goes out of its way to be like Kylo Ren was either manipulated or like, I don't again, I haven't read it, so I don't remember exactly what the context is, but it's basically like he like does the whole thing with Luke and he gets angry turns away and then maybe snoke bombs the place or something i don't remember it's it's weird well i mean point is she has strong opinions which is good and she very much is has read more about star wars than i definitely have that's fair but she seems like a nice person and we i will keep you updated excellent and by you i mean both you and the audience excellent we're very invested (laughs) Uh, she asked me what my passions are, and I'm like, well, 
I like seeing the world through different lenses. <laughs> Is that a passion? Can you call it that? Uh, I mean, and then I talked about how I like literature and yeah, guitar and friends and like nature and stuff. But that's where the conversation is left off. I'll keep you updated on the next episode. I will say, so I just watched Chronicle. Like, mm. I finished it less than an hour ago. Or maybe exactly an hour ago. And it's not good. <laughs> Do you... I don't even know what movie that is. Yeah, so Chronicle, it's Josh Trank's first movie. And if you know who Josh Trank is, you know he directed Fantastic, And then that was a mess. And he was also... That was the best. He was also supposed to direct a Boba Fett movie and got taken off of it because of that. Um, and it's, so it's directed by him and it's written by Max Landis, who is an awful person. Like he's been involved in like several sexual assault things. Um, and his dad was also an awful person and violated like laws and got children killed in a helicopter accident. And also, like, nothing Max Landis has wrote is any good. Like, he wrote Bright. He wrote a couple other things. Um, anyways, Chronicle is a found footage superhero movie with Dave DeHaan and Michael B. Jordan, who's good, and some other guy. And it's like, it's so many other movies. It So Dave DeHaan, Dane DeHaan, not Dave, Dane DeHaan, is a sad, depressed high schooler. And his dad is abusive and his mom is sick and he gets superpowers and he gets really cool. Um, and then things go bad for him and he gets really angry and starts killing everybody. And I'm just I like it. I'm so sick of like these stories of just person gets bullied a lot and kills people. We were done. We've done it too many times. Let's move on as a society. Like that's also the plot of the prequels, more or less. Honestly, there's like more explicit like manipulation going on in the prequels. This is just yeah. he gets sad. I guess his dad's abusive, so there's that. Is he gets sad and then he gets angry. It's like I don't know because it is this Joker's kind of like this. There are a couple other things that are like this, and I'm like. I, I feel like it's a very shallow view of depression and mental health and so many other things. Yeah, that's valid. I can't comment because I haven't seen the movie yeah. or even really know beyond what you just told me. A lot of people really liked this movie, and I don't understand why. Because even, even apart from that, it's just not written well. There's a point where Dane DeHaan unironically is like, I am the apex predator, and then he throws a bus at someone. And it's really, really funny, and it's not supposed to be. Oof. <laughs> anyway, I just had to get that out, because Chronicle sucks. Yeah, I saw you tweeted about that. Yeah, I was tracking with it for, like, the first hour, because it was just, like, teenagers doing, like, screwing around with superpowers, and Michael B. Jordan is always really charismatic. And so, I was like, this is fun. But then, in, like, the last half, it just dovetails and becomes really dumb. Have you watched Kong vs. Godzilla yet? Though? I haven't. I've heard that it's fun. Yeah, I've heard it's actually, like, people were mostly enjoyed it. So. I, so I watched Godzilla and I watched Kong Skull Island, both in theaters. And mm. 
Godzilla was okay. Kong Skull Island was so much fun. And so I was yeah. really excited for like the second Godzilla and for this one. But I haven't I didn't get around to the second Godzilla movie. And then I didn't get around to this yet. But I will, probably. Well, this one just came out. So. Yeah. And now that big movies are being signed on to streaming services instead of having theatrical releases, like the next Knives Out movies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Netflix movies have gotten theatrical releases in the past. So I wouldn't... Yeah, for their Oscar movies or yeah. something. I think half of what makes Knives Out so much fun is it's such a like communal experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. watching that in theaters was just a blast every time. And so to not see these in a movie theater would make me sad. Also, just let Ryan Johnson make more movies. Hey, he had to agree. It's true. Sign for this, so it's true. But yeah, no. I mean, to be fair, when I watched Knives Out, it was in a theater with like seven other people. But oh wow, it was still fun. Yeah, there was like a stretch um, at the beginning of 2020 where I saw like three movies in like a week and a half in theaters, yeah. which is by far the most movies I'd seen at theaters in yeah. like years. And it was like Knives Out 1917. Ooh, yeah. I don't remember what the third one was, but I just remember those two stuck out because they were both really good movies. And I'm like, wow, I really want to see more movies in theaters to now going ahead. Because <laughs> like, this was a good time. And then, and then COVID. I saw, yeah, I don't know why. I saw so many movies in like January, February. Because I saw Cats three times. Um, yeah. I watched Little Women. I think I watched Knives Out. A second time in January, maybe that was in December. I don't remember, but I watched Little Woman. I watched 1917. I saw Parasite, Birds of Prey. Like, I saw a lot of movies in that space, and then none. That was also the time we were planning a trip. True, we were doing that. Man, trip to Paris and then to Germany. What if what if we just do that after like your masters or something? What if I was thinking about doing that, yeah. Yeah. I might be able to get travel funding. <laughs> Yo, that'd be sick. I there'd have to be a conference there though, obviously. Like there there'd have to be a right. race. That's fair. Um but no, I I genuinely was thinking about traveling after my masters. Yeah. But we'll see. We if I end see. up having to go for my PhD, I mean then I can get paid to travel because research, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I thought it was really funny because I woke up this morning and I saw that there was a new Black Widow trailer. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't even watch it. It was okay. I mean, at, at this point, my investment of Black Widow as a movie is like um, 40% Florence Pugh, like 30% Taskmaster, mm-hmm. 20% David Harbour, and then like 10% Black Widow. That's valid. I, I don't have any emotions for that movie at all. I'll see yeah. it when it comes out, but like, it's been delayed for so long. And it's also kind of, I don't want to say it's pointless, but like, she's dead. Yeah, it, like, I, I both understand the timing, and it's also really weird timing. Yeah. It's, I hope it's okay. I'm not expecting very much. It would be nice to see in theaters just because it would be good to see a Marvel movie in theaters again. True. Which, that's coming out July, I think. So, maybe. 
Oh yeah, probably. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's either June or July. So uh, I watched the Space Jam trailer. Oh, that was also bad. It looked kind of fun. No, it. I I was hesitantly like maybe Space Jam Two will be okay, and then I saw that trailer. I'm like, okay, I don't need to see this. I mean, will it ever be able to beat the first one? No, it's a cult classic. Yeah, they didn't need to make it freaking ready player warner brothers though yeah that that that's valid i like they have like the dudes from clockwork orange in there we got iron giant yet again which i love iron giant that's a great movie we don't need to put him in every single crossover i mean i'm not opposed to it yeah put him in like the dc movies put him in the dc movies let me get the the iron giant cut Yes, please. <laughs> I like that idea. Yeah. Uh, have you watched that? Nope. Kay. I don't have four and a half hours to sit around and watch right? that movie. Yeah. Regardless of whether it's decent, which I've heard it is, but like, I've heard it's okay. I, I've heard it's. I don't know. I've heard it's. We talked about this kind of already. Yeah, a little bit. I think. But I don't know. Anyway, it's I'm been not really invested. Yeah. I, I don't know. I was just not thinking because it's so right now it's Easter weekend for us. Yep. I got thinking because Easter to me, like last year, I remember Easter was one of the first things where I was like, this is this is a COVID Easter. Like this has interrupted the regular schedule. And now I'm looking at this event through a new lens because we're in COVID. Uh, we mm-hmm, talked about mm-hmm. that a little bit in that episode that came out. And now we're doing it again. Yeah, it's like a, a a year in review, kind of. Yeah, it's so it's so strange. Because like prior to this, we were planning a trip. <laughs> it's true. We were planning a trip. We were planning all these different things. Was it grief or was it COVID nineteen? Because I think COVID nineteen was before Easter for episodes it's it must have been grief i imagine i imagine yeah it probably would have been grief i think COVID 19 was like that was the first week or so that was when like everything was shutting down and we're like this is life now yeah because that was like we just realized our trip was canceled then we realized everything was canceled yeah that was we were first getting a grip on like this is not going to be a one-off thing. We're going to be dealing with this for at least a little bit. Yeah, we were. I think we were talking about like, oh yeah, we'll hopefully be back to normal by the summer, right? Yeah, and yeah. That certainly did not happen. It did not. Because <laughs> I feel like the first episode of Code, we were kind of like almost shell shocked. Oh just yeah, like like this is happening, but. We didn't really have a, a firm grip of how we were emotionally responding to it. No, and we had no idea what, like, the future was going to look like either. Yeah. Versus, I think, the by the time we got to, like, grief after Easter and whatnot, it was yeah. much more, like, I know for me, I was pretty, I was in a, like, pretty dark place dealing with, like, oh, yeah, everything I cared about and was, like, yeah. bringing me, bringing me life is just dead yeah because i don't remember i think it would have been a year ago now if i'm remembering what came up on facebook memories i don't know it's all a blur but yeah i like i hit a point where like my grandfather had passed away and i was just 
totally numb to it. And I, that was kind of the tipping point of like, this is not a good place to be. Like, I'm just not processing anything anymore. Yeah, you had a lot of stuff that was going on around that. Time. Yeah, because I, I was basically burnt out in February when Hijaya died. Like, yeah, I think that took me out. And then COVID also happened. Yeah. I just remember it was like right after Easter it would have been. Or right during Easter when I just started tweeting a bunch of pretty dark stuff. Yeah. Like type fours just like dwell in darkness. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're <laughs> that's where we thrive. And like Oops. kind of true, but also I was just like uh I think I was just overwhelmed with like yeah. anxiety and grief. Yeah. And like I know I was having heart palpitations and whatnot, which I still wonder right. if that was because of like did I have COVID in February and that affected my heart for a few months? Because not gonna lie, that wouldn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously we'll never know because I think I may have talked about that during one of those episodes. I think I remember that, yeah. Because I, like, I got pretty sick in February had mm. with a weird toes thing where my toes got inflamed and red and rashy, basically. Um, had a bad fever for three or four days. Just mm. low energy. And then, like, got pink eye in both my eyes for the first time ever. I've never really had pink eye, which was weird. Um, and then just like ended up with a weird heart palpitation for like until june and like i swear since june or july i've had it maybe like once once or twice and so like i thought it was an anxiety thing but it can't like i would feel like it'd be happening more often if it were anxiety related because i boy oh boy (laughs) have i had anxiety the last six months no that's fair in that april period i was just like everything's dark everything's dead yeah let's dwell on this yeah but i thought we'd be coming out of it more quickly than we did yeah i definitely i remember like april probably april-ish i remember thinking wow it sucks for all these people who have like a covid graduation good thing i won't have to deal with that and then like may into june i was like no i'm gonna have a covid year like it's gonna this is gonna continue And it it definitely did. But, you know, the funny part is, like, we had two months where it was really rough. Like, March 15th, roughly, to, like, May 15th. Yeah. Where, like, things were pretty shut down. I didn't see anybody. I saw Ethan for the first time on on May 15th, roughly. And that's when I shaved my COVID beard on top of a mountain. Yeah. Um, It was a rebirth one. Nice. Anyway, um, after that. Honestly, things kind of almost felt normal for most of the summer. Yeah, I I mean, I had a really weird perspective because I think towards the end of April. Yeah, it would have been like end of April because that's when it yeah. was closed, quote unquote, because um, like it actually like everyone got pushed out and then it actually closed. And that's when I left yeah. um, and I went to my sister's place and I remember being there for a while, but at some point in May, I went home to Manitoba for like, we didn't really have any cases because at that point it was all sort of like Calgary, Toronto, Vancouver, like all mm-hmm. the like airport centers. That's where things were really bad. And so in Manitoba, everything was kind of open and it was really strange. 
on how it's like, I don't know what the rules are here, but okay. And then by July, I was at camp and we had maybe two relaxed rules, but it was like relaxed enough that I was like, this is kind of normal. We'll just like hand sanitizer and we'll do temperature checks and everything will be okay. Hmm. Yeah. And so and then, yeah, yeah. Coming, coming, coming like September was the first like, okay, this is what COVID life is like. Okay. I have to wear masks now. All right. This is interesting. Oh, wow. That's weird. Yeah. Cause like, for me, I remember vividly, like, the first time really going out was to get my mom a pot of flowers nice. <laughs> for her birthday in, like, April, which is pretty much... Noah would go outside to get pot. Oh, my God. Yeah, true, though. Um, but, Like, a year a year ago, pretty much. And I, like, I remember I was the only one wearing a mask. Mm. Like, pretty much the only one. I was wearing, like, a, like one of those dust masks that you wear when you're like working on like uh right like when you're cutting wood and, and you don't want to breathe in a bunch of like sawdust yeah um so it wasn't like a great mask and like looking back compared to now where you go out and like the vast majority of people are all wearing masks oh, yeah. or or even double masking at this point yeah um, that's just a weird thing to look back and like yeah even over the summer like it wasn't really a big thing yet. Yeah, because it it only became mandatory in like in Calgary. I think it only became mandatory in like late August, if I remember correctly. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and I even remember. I feel like the first few months were the most surreal because I remember walking over to Domino's and mm. watching them like put up the giant plastic screens. Yeah, and because nobody really knew what to do, and so they just. Everyone bought plexiglass, I guess. And it was really, mm-hmm. like, garish and uncomfortable. And that was... Yeah. And then slowly, like, people started to figure out what exactly things were looking like. Even... Oh, my gosh. Like, the lineups around Walmart or that sort of thing. Yeah. Where it was just snaking outside the building. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Because I also went to get flowers at Home Depot and I had to wait in line. Yeah. But, like... Come May, June, I remember seeing friends, like, decently often in person. Yeah. As, like, or at least, you know, every once in a while. Um, I know we had tried to plan game nights <laughs> before right. that, yeah. which happened, like, two or three times, and I put so much effort into that, and no one cared. Um, but, like, we, uh, after that, I was seeing people, at least somewhat regularly in person, like, me, Ethan, and Matt were going around, like, to rentals, trying to yeah figure out how to how to rent a place and like (laughs) our first time doing that and and so like a lot of like really normal-ish things were happening like i don't look back to the summer and think wow that was a covid summer no same i think like oh that was the time where i went and i like rented a house for the first time and we me and my family went to victoria and that was a pretty normal trip like, we had to wear masks inside of buildings, but other than that, yeah. like, everything was pretty much normal on the island, and, like, we ate out in restaurants, and, yeah, like, we did a bunch of activities, and, and it was just normal. Um, but I also think that I got a biopsy last summer, and I kind of forget about that sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, that's kind of normal, but also... <laughs> 
that wasn't like the best experience ever yeah yeah summer was weird it felt yeah i think everyone was sort of like ready to get back to normal yeah. and then yeah kind of by like august september it was like no this is gonna stick around see i don't i feel like september october yeah things were too normal like we were That's having fair. people over like, you came over, like, once a week. Yeah, that's fair. And we we were having big, well, not big gatherings. We were having people over, like, six, seven people over at a time. Pretty regularly. Yeah. And, like, we were doing the D&D in person. Yeah. And, like, there was a lot of, like, pretty normal stuff. And it was like, oh, I could live like this. This is fine. And it was at the end of October. I blatantly remember it was, like, Halloween, where I'm mm-hmm. looking at the cases. And I'm like, uh-oh. Yeah. Because it was like November, everything skyrocketed. Yeah. Because you came over for my birthday, and then yep. like I came over after the election to record that episode. Yep. And I think that was like the last time it was I went out of my house for a, like maybe not out of my house because I was still doing school and stuff. Yeah. That was the last time I visited with anyone for a while. Yeah, and then like come the end of November everything changed i was living alone yeah for a month and a half didn't really have much contact with anyone my birthday came and went without a fuss (laughs) and i remember around that same time too like ambrose had that uptick in cases because oh yeah 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 because like a couple on one of like the sports teams got it and then it just spread to like the entire sports network and then yeah, basically just everything locked down. And that was I think that was that was the only time Ambrose like fully locked down where they're like, we're not doing in-person classes, go home. And that was right before reading week. And so it was like a week of that and then reading week and then everything was back to normal. But yeah, that was that was a lot. And Christmas was just like locked down. <sighs> Christmas was really weird. I like saw my family and I think that was it. Yeah. And that was also because I remember last semester I would go, not a lot, but I a couple of times I was able to like go and study in a coffee shop. But oh yeah, now I don't know. There's like a bunch of regulations and stuff in terms of like sitting down at a restaurant or a shop. You need to like give them your address or something like that, just in case. I don't know. Well, even like. You and and me and Darren met up like a week right. before restrictions hit. Right. It was like met up for, for coffee in a coffee shop and just sat there for what an hour, hour and a half, something like that. And <laughs> I remember we were talking like, yeah, cases are going up. I wonder, like, should we be concerned? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, man. And like, I remember we stopped to get wine, or I stopped because I was driving you. And I picked right. up a bottle or two of wine. Yeah, and, and you then... like chugged a bottle on the road. That was weird. Hey, no, we don't. We don't talk about that. No, no, that didn't. That didn't happen. It's uh, that's a. Uh... But we get. I get back to like my place, and like and me and 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 Matt and Ethan have like, we called it, like it was the one time we had like a big family dinner because we hadn't had many lately. And now we look back and we're like, that was the last supper. Wow. Because it really was. Because we will never, me, Matt, and Ethan will never eat together again. That's so sad. 
Um, at least not like that because, yeah. well, we're losing one roommate and gaining another. Yeah. It was a pretty rough few months. And then, like, it's weird because January through March in my head feels, like, better. But also, I didn't see anyone either for those months. So Yeah. Like... I I think I went through a long phase, right? Yeah, I just didn't talk to anybody. Because um, that was the other thing. That was one of the things that got me. We're starting around, like, April, March, April. I would have like friends' birthdays come up and I'd be like, I haven't talked to these people in a while. I'm lonely. Everyone else is probably lonely. I'm going to be like, happy birthday. How are things going? Yeah. Like, how can I be praying for you? Et cetera, et cetera. And that was like a really cool way to connect with people. And then I kind of died out. And then like March hit and I had like on Facebook friends' birthdays coming up and opening their messages mean like, oh my goodness, we're we're here again. Like, it's been a year, all right? Yeah. I just, I'm looking back to, like, I haven't really messaged anybody except, like, I had a couple conversations when I first went to, like, announce that I was going to Western right. in the fall. There were some people that were like, oh, how's, how's it going? Are you, how's, how's life treating you? And that's exciting news and all that mm-hmm. jazz. But, like, I just feel I tried so hard to get, like keep everyone together early on in the pandemic with like trying to plan game nights and trying to set send messages and keep in touch and all that and when that failed so spectacularly by like may i just kind of gave up with trying to keep up with people i'm not gonna lie and maybe that's bad but right yeah i don't know it's weird i was thinking about this yesterday that like what would our world be like without social media because like, in some ways, I want to say, like, social media has, like, we've benefited because we've been able to keep in contact with people. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like it's just shallow contact. Yeah. I, I think a lot about, there's, like, I don't remember where it is, but, like, C.S. Lewis talks about it. And because he was right at kind of, like, the dawn of industrialization and, like, mm-hmm. modernity, quote, unquote. And I remember him talking about, like, looking at like newsreels of the war and being like humanity isn't meant to have this much empathy like yeah like i'm being asked to have empathy for things that are happening miles and miles away in countries i've never been to i can't conceive of this and in a lot of ways that's what social media is now like you are constantly demanded to have empathy for things you have no connection to yep which sounds really callous because i mean i look at I look at like stuff like the Black Lives Matter marches mm-hmm. and protests. I'm like, this is really good. This is something that almost could have only happened with social media. Um, but see, like you're right, but, and yeah, no, you continue. But yeah, like the, yeah, I don't know. There, there is that tension there also of like because I remember, I remember sitting in Canada, comfortable in my house. And waking up and looking at Twitter and getting angry Mm -hmm. and then going to bed and looking at Twitter and getting angry. And it was just like, it was a a good anger in a lot of sense, but it's also like, it's exhausting because you just have so little, like, it's so detached from you. Yeah. And like, see, like, there's a part of me that's like, it was fantastic that they raised awareness and that there's a lot of maybe like global awareness now that there wouldn't have been a part if there hadn't been social media. Yeah. 
but has there been significant changes since then? Like, <laughs> in a couple small cities, maybe? Like, I know, what was it? Um, St. Paul, where they were, like, genuinely trying to reform the yeah. police or defund the police. I don't remember what they were, which one they were doing. Yeah. Um, like, they're, like, they're maybe in a couple small cities, they genuinely tried to make changes, but has there been any change on, like, a... Uh, on a on a what would yeah. I call it a continental scale? I guess. Yeah, I mean, like speaking of coming full circle, they're doing like the Derek Chauvin trials right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's it's from what I understand, it's kind of a joke. Like I don't know, it's it's super ridiculous. Just like what I've heard about the proceedings. Social media is great at like yeah, we can see these things, but in regards to actually affecting change, yeah. Because I feel like a lot, I don't know, I'm torn. People with influence can affect change at a larger scale. Mm -hmm. But the average person that's on social media, it it doesn't work that way. You have to have these grassroots organizations and these, you have to, you have to start in your own community. Yeah. Start in your own um, kind of like circle. And that, that is kind of what I think about a lot in terms of, with social media, you're asked to maybe another a better example is like the constant shootings in America, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. like they'll happen and then people forget about them in a week. Yep. Um, because like, what are you gonna do about it? There's like the same arguments come up and the same people disband those arguments and nothing changes, and it's so hard for anyone to have genuine like national impact what you have to do is like in the age before we had social media everyone just lived in small communities and everyone knew each other in those communities and everyone could impact each other in those communities because of how interconnected you had to be and we've lost that we we have global awareness but no intimacy and we've exchanged genuine authentic like charity for virtue signaling for the vast majority yeah. of people. Yeah. There are, there are there are genuinely good people doing good work on social media that yeah. are being authentic and using their voices for good. But mm-hmm. honestly, the vast majority of people, if they say anything, it's virtue signaling. They're saying yeah. it because they feel like there's the pressure that they need to say it. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I, I've I'm coming to the opinion that like internet celebrities just shouldn't exist. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the human brain is not meant to handle that kind of fame. The human yeah. brain is not meant to have this environment where you can be completely anonymous and have 50,000 people listening to every word you say. Yep. And I've heard this from so many people who are fairly big on the internet, where they're, they're just like, I don't have the conception for this. I I still feel like I'm just some like small person and I have like maybe a small fan base. I don't have the conception that like what I say is impacting millions of people every time mm-hmm. I speak. And so they'll be like, Oh, as a joke, do this. And then 10,000 people go and do that. Like we're just not like meant to process the world in this way. Well, it's true. And like there, there are some people like who are, who are big enough that can affect, affect change like i said there are the martin luther king juniors who can go out in the world and like have that massive impact and 
be responsible mm-hmm. for massive changes. I mean, to some extent, maybe we could talk about. Um, I, I don't. I'm trying to think of a con- like a, a modern example of like a Martin Luther King Jr. I don't, because I feel like with Martin Luther King Jr., he knew the people he was leading. True. Um, because he would start in. I don't know that much about like his actual process, but I'm just extrapolating from what I know of the times. Like he would start in his community and he would start with the people around him. And it was what he was doing there that was gaining traction and making movements and everything. It wasn't like, I don't know if you can do that same thing on Twitter. I don't know if some person with 10 million followers can start something on Twitter and for it to actually have any genuine. Yeah. I don't know. We're kind of getting into what we talked about last episode, but. Yeah, I know. It's I don't know how how this how this kind of happened, but like, <laughs> I just I wish I just wish there was more actual genuine community. Yeah, in our that, world, yeah. and like, like, like you said, uh, like Lewis talked about that we don't have the the empathy to go beyond a certain group of people. And I was listening this week; someone was talking about how going back to like historical human roots and like hunter gatherers and like the small communities mm-hmm. they formed like we're still rooted in that evolutionary um trait that we can't have more than like i think it was either 10 or 20 close people yeah. around us we just don't yeah. have the capacity no to go beyond that and yet we're trying yeah and like it's it's exa- it's overwhelming like you yeah. check twitter and you see the news for the day that like there was a, another terrorist attack on the Capitol, or right. there was um, a, a shooting in the, in in the streets of L.A., or there there was the train a train that derailed in, in, in I think it was in China, nope Taiwan, sure, or or the COVID cases rising around the world and and the people <sighs> that are constantly dying or getting sick, or even just looking the given slightly smaller scale, but still like. You have like hockey teams that have half their players that have gotten COVID. Yeah. And it's like there's so much happening that we're being yeah. asked to have empathy for and and I just like I find myself overwhelmed a lot. Especially recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've really we've really like forsaked the idea of intimacy a lot. We have. I mean, I've been in this class with Nikayla, and a lot of what she has talked about is the idea of, like, the original intention of the church is to be an intimate community. Um, mm-hmm. And, I mean, she, she talked about this a little bit on the episode that we had with her. But, yeah. like, right now we see, like, the couple as the locus of intimacy. And yeah. the entire metaphor of the church is that that shifts onto the church that mm-hmm. the church is supposed to be so incredibly intimate and so incredibly connected that it's like even even more than marriage even more than whatever and at least in my place in like evangelicalism I look around and that's just not the case like yeah if we it would be a super small thing but i almost wonder if like the church started to engage more in that like traditional idea of community and upheld like actual intimacy i feel like that would like genuinely benefit a lot of people right now it's true and i think about again i've been neck deep in ruffalo emerson lately Mm -hmm. um 
and Emerson's kind of one of his um, key talking points or his key um, themes that he always gets across in his work is the idea of individuality and and I, what he calls self-reliance, which, I mean, you have to get into his conception of the self to understand that term. It's less American individualism and more like reliance on the self, mm-hmm. the the non-dual self you could you could say um but this idea that like if you end up in the society where they i don't want to say force you to have empathy for everyone but like yeah where it's like this pressure to be forced to do good or or what could mm-hmm. be good or what society says is good because everyone around you is pressuring to do that instead of doing good out of your own genuine like out of what your 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 soul is telling yeah. you to do did i did i talk about tyler joseph in the last episode i don't remember uh i don't know who that is so i'd say no. okay yeah so this was a thing because tyler joseph um of 21 pilots he's like kind of oh okay what one of the two members um when black lives matter happened he wasn't posting anything on social media and um everyone yelled at him basically where it was like use use your platform use your platform and he made like a stupid joke which we can admit is a stupid joke where he like showed off his shoes and like i people have been telling me to show off my platforms or something like that um (laughs) which is like (laughs) it's funny it's also really dumb yeah and people blew up on him because they're like wow you're you're being so disrespectful this and this and this and he and I'm pretty sure they sent like hate messages and like death threats to like him and his kid or whatever. And he put out a video. He put out a stream where it was like, "I'm sorry. I like I deeply apologize for this. Here are the things that me and my family have been doing since before BLM and have continued doing. Here are the places that we've been supporting and like donating to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera." But it's like, yeah, there's such a pressure to like make a statement yep. where hey use your brand, use your platform. If you aren't empathetic in exactly the way that I want you to be, you're an awful person and you're a racist and this and this. And it's like, like, like you said, it's so performative. There's no sense of like, are you actually making a difference? Are you actually, how are you actually living your life? It's if you're not fitting into this brand, you're a bad person. Yep. That's you hit the nail on the head right there that's exactly what i was talking about exactly what emerson was talking about there's something to be said about authentic charity authentic goodness and not the performative um forced charity or um what would you call using your platform just like i mean you said virtual virtual single signaling earlier yeah and that's really yeah, it, it is what it is. Yeah, and I feel like a lot more good could be done if, like, just a person instead of feeling like they need to hold celebrities to this super high standard or whoever they yeah. follow on Twitter, whatever it is, if they went out in their community, yeah, and started doing local work, yeah, exactly, because there are local community or local grassroots organizations doing stuff in communities regarding racism whether that's black lives matter or in canada especially indigenous work or um uh, working against anti-asian racism which like the good thing about social media we hear about these things it's good to know that these things exist in the world but to do actual good work 
you start in your community. And there are lots of organizations, lots of ways to do that. If you want to work for the LGBTQ community, there are plenty yeah. of organizations that are local that you can hook up with. Mm-hmm. That not that doesn't sound right, but like, <laughs> um, or or um, uh, if you want to work with like violence against women, yeah, we have friends who work for uh, a couple organizations in Calgary. Yeah. That that work specifically with women who've been victims of of violence or um, violent relationships. Um, it'd actually be interesting to maybe have one of them on the podcast. Isn't oh yeah. Um, but like, there's there's so much that can be done locally that if you want, like, if you feel in your in your soul that you want to make a genuine difference here and you want to do something, you feel that there's injustice happening. Start yeah. small. Yeah. Don't <laughs> you don't need to 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 start a whole Twitter platform or try to do your work by holding other people accountable. Start with yourself and do good work. And like, don't feel like (laughs) this, this might sound bad, but like, don't feel like you have to do anything. If it's not something that you genuinely are passionate about, because that will also bleed through. Like in some ways we should all be working towards talking about racism. For example, we should all be working towards becoming more Mm anti-racist. I fully believe that. But there's something to be said about authentically working towards it rather than doing it just because everyone else is forcing you. Yeah. Yeah. I remember realizing in my youth, because, I mean, growing up, growing up in like the evangelical church, like the Mm -hmm. highest thing that you can do is go and do overseas missions. missions. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember realizing like, this is, this is not for me. Like, that's, that's. Perfect, a, perfect analogy. There. An awful, I'm like awful at eating food. I'm such a cookie eater. I'm like trying <laughs> to get better. Um, I don't necessarily super connect well with people like mm. um, all these different things. I'm like, this is not for me. I'm just not going to touch this. I believe yep. that there is good that can come out of this when it's done properly. Um, there are definitely organizations that don't do it properly. Yeah. Um, like I, I, there's good that can come out. This isn't for me because I will only yep. be bad at it and only make things worse. There's work everyone is suited to do. Yeah. And if you want, and if you force yourself to go outside of that, you're not going to be doing good work. Yeah. Because it won't be coming out of your, out of your soul, out of your, your true self, if you want to put it that way. At least yeah. that's what Emerson talks about. That like, there's this idea that you have to be forced into the machine into this industrial machine that you have to do this job because you're that's what someone else is telling you to do or that's what the only way the only way you have to make money to some extent and some people are put in that situation but like there is something inside of us that is is more suited to do one thing over another and Mm -hmm. just doing that will have a larger effect of goodness in the world than trying to force yourself to do something because you think that's the highest good, whether that's doing missions uh, overseas. If you're not, if you don't feel like you're meant to do missions overseas or if you're, whether that's, I don't know, like working in let's say like environmental regulations department, if you don't feel like you're suited for that or politics, if you don't feel like you're suited for that, if you think good can come out of politics, which is debatable, but like, like start yeah. with doing something that you feel like you 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 are passionate about something that you really want to make a difference doing yeah emerson often uses nature analogies 
to help visualize this point. Oftentimes he'll say something like, just like how a flower's role is just to be a flower or like a tree is just to be a tree or a grass is just grass. We also have roles. We also have something innate that we are more suited to do, something that we are passionate about, something that something inside of us, something that the soul is meant to be. And all we have to do is just listen to it and then act on it because it comes naturally. And if you and if you're passionate about any of these different important topics like <laughs> start small, start with your local groups. Start doing it in ways where you feel like you can actually have a a tangible, you can do, you can make a difference Mm -hmm. and then maybe grow from there. But like, I feel like a lot of people, it's it's similar to like, I compare it to like people who start streaming. They want to start by becoming like this big thing and having this, it's okay to have dreams, but start by being like the biggest streamer on Twitch or like you want to like stop uh, countries from polluting you you want to you want to be the one who who stops climate change and like big lofty goals instead of just starting small and and just doing small things in your local area yeah that that will help and then going from there and maybe that does explode maybe you start a small little grassroots organization that becomes a bigger mm. thing that has happened um but instead of shooting for like being the bill gates of the world yeah start like start with just doing good work and it'll pay itself off I just want to point out, this is such a Tolkien-esque theme of just doing the small things and how the the smallest actions can make significant differences, and neither Glendon nor I noted that, but I'm going to note it now. And it's, I mean, it's worth noting that, I don't know, I look at a lot of, like, the billionaires in the world right now, which, for one, billionaires shouldn't exist, tax the rich, eat the rich, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but I don't know if any of them... I mean, they're all born into privilege. They're all born into, like, immense wealth. Um, Elon Musk's parents benefited from apartheid and owned an emerald mine. Let's never forget that. Like, Mm. your goal isn't, shouldn't be to, like, match up to these people because you just aren't those people. And Mm -hmm. you probably shouldn't be for a variety of reasons. You are you, and you are born into, like, the situation that you're born into. And yeah. it's up to you to make the most of that. And it's also important to note there are any inequalities in the world that prevent people from doing work that they could be more suited, that they're passionate about, that they're suited to sure. do because of oppression, because of of different inequalities and um, the racial, the legacies of slavery, maybe. Yeah. That continue to oppress groups of people. Um, particularly the black community and other people of color, that that does still have an impact. And so people sometimes aren't able to do what they feel called to do or they feel is, is suited for them to do. And that also is something we can work towards bettering mm-hmm. in our communities. And, and that should be noted because as much as like uh, part of this is like, yeah, just do what you're you're passionate about, we have to recognize that there are reasons why some people can't yeah um and a lot of times it's the systems in place that prevent prevent that and again the best way to start dismantling the systems is in your local community 
mm-hmm. at least in my opinion. And also vote in your elections. Yeah. I think tying it into the season. Um, yeah, it's Easter. It is Easter. And you look at a lot of Jesus' life. Mm. And there's definitely like clear anti-political sentiments, clear this mm-hmm. and this. But a lot of the power that he had in his life was the way he uplifted the human yep. and the individual and the way he looked at people who were impoverished, who were looked down on by society and said, you have value. I'm giving you that. Va- like you have value. Yeah. And Jesus was authentically, well, himself. Yeah. He did what he felt called to do. He uplifted the poor. He, mm-hmm. he reached out to the leper. He reached out yeah. to the women who were treated as less than because of, yeah. of their, of their line of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't care what any anyone said about it, whether it was his local group of disciples who yeah. meant meant well, or whether it was the 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 Sanhedrin or the the Jewish yeah. kind of like government, or whether it was the Roman government. Yeah, Jesus Jesus did just did what he knew was right, mm-hmm. what was coming from from himself. Yeah. And well, uh, he be- kind of became a victim of society, yeah, <laughs> coming down on him. But like, yeah. that's kind of what society does if you don't conform, mm-hmm. if you don't do what everyone's telling you to do. Mark Mark Buchanan take you in yeah, in the rest of God, he talks about like kind of the irony of being purpose driven, where mm-hmm. like if you are driven, you are on the clock, and you have all these different things. But if you walk with purpose, like Jesus walked with purpose, he didn't have any time schedules. He didn't have any like, all right, I need to wake up and do this and this and this. He Mm -hmm. walked and he was present. And he said, this is an immediate need. Or here's a person in front of me. Like, I'm going to be present with this person. Forget anything else. I'm going to do this. Oh, there's someone across the lake. Um, dealing with like uh, possession and subjugation, I'm gonna go to that person. Mm-hmm. Forget whatever's like important thing is happening right now. Yep, I'm going to be present with these people because the this is what needs me right now. Yep, it's important to note that when you try to dismantle the system, the system will well try to dismantle oh, yeah. you, and it's common that people who try who work to make that kind of change even if it's a small local change like again it's important to know jesus stayed within a very small place he did not go to very many places yeah um and yet he had like the entirety of of the local system Mm -hmm. come down against him and try to scapegoat him for all of the problems that they were having and it's this idea that the people who try to change the system are the problem and so we scapegoat them versus recognizing that the system itself is the yeah. problem. Yeah. I mean, I could talk a lot about scapegoating and how we treat Christ in each other and how we so often scapegoat the black community and mm. the Asian community. Like, I mean, boy, is that yeah. ever an example lately as of the yeah. last year, the way the Asian community has been scapegoated um, yeah. for COVID. Um mm-hmm. And, like, if you're a Christian, 
it's important to recognize that you're scapegoating Christ when you do that. Mm-hmm. You you want to talk about how you don't want to re-crucify Christ on, on Good Friday by talking about his death, which is a ridiculous notion, by the way. <laughs> um, and then you don't recognize that you are constantly re-crucifying Christ whenever mm-hmm. a black person is shot down in the streets or an Asian person is beaten up because yeah. people blame them for covid or because trump talks about the china virus i think it's really interesting i I, i've been thinking about this since our episode with colin because we talked about this a little bit and i think Mm -hmm. we inferred isn't the word i don't know if there's a a particular word for what we do with like the death and resurrection where we focus solely on the resurrection for christ like we were uncomfortable with the idea of god dying Mm -hmm. and we don't want to talk about that but when we talk yeah. about the other person, we only want to talk about, like, you need to die to self. You need to, like, suffer. You need to go through pain. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And we don't care about the resurrection of the other and the resurrection of the self. Yeah, I feel like, to some extent, like, what Colin said still rings true. That, like, we don't yeah. control the resurrection, per se. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, But we can, to some extent, <laughs> bring about the death. Yeah. I just, what I think about a lot in terms of evangelicalism is like the way people read Paul and all these different things is it's, it's so much focused on like, you have a problem and you need to kill the problem as opposed to like trying to live into the new life, which I think is way more the goal of Christianity. Well, I think if we want to talk about like a general Easter message or like something you can take from the death and well, the, the lynching, I'll call it the lynching of Christ. And the resurrection of Christ. For one, like I said, society will try to take down those that try to bring about a change in the system. Yeah. Society continues. And specifically, I'm going to say white society continues to oh, lynch yeah. and kill people who are different, who are other, who, and who bring about change. Who, who, who bring about the risk of bringing down that system that benefits mm-hmm. us, who are white and male, Yeah, to be fair. And straight also, probably, if we want to hit all three. And and two, that to some extent, this idea of God, this idol of God that we have in our in our minds of like this white God that that is up in the sky or this this just any physical representation of God that is you know, the typical, you know, you, you know, the, the evangelical God, this yeah. idol also needs to die. Yeah, like we talked about, and like Peter Rollins writes in the Idolatry of God, I just literally reference Peter Rollins in every single episode. It's true <laughs> that this the, this idol needs to die, and we need to allow that to happen. And it's in that death mm-hmm. where we can start to find that that resurrected Christ that yeah isn't just an idol that isn't just yeah. our own painting. Not something that like we've being. made. Yeah. Exactly. Our own creation that exists purely to satisfy our desires or to make us happy. The the capitalist Jesus, one could say. And by allowing that idol to die, we can recognize the eternal and universal nature of the Christ that is everything. Yeah. And and that is something that I've had like a, a couple conversations with Michaela about it. I think we're again we're we're so uncomfortable with this idea of God dying 
mm-hmm. and we try to like rationalize it and we try to say well up uh, the jesus part of god died or something like that and it's yeah. like that's that's not what's presented like god came down and god died this is a thing you have to wrestle with that and figure that mm-hmm. out because that is like impossible and magical and transcendent mm-hmm. um and what that looks like what your concept of atonement from that looks like it should be life-changing and there's richard Rohr talks about how there's this kind of cosmic cycle of life death and resurrection mm. that's conveyed in the archetype of christ yeah. and and joseph campbell talks about this as well um the christ archetype yeah of life death and resurrection and and death is an essential part yeah you can't get to the resurrection without the death yeah but what we can learn from 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 the the crucifixion of christ is that like yeah we'll die and we have to die to self like we talked about mm-hmm. and and it's gonna hurt and it and it involves suffering we're we we don't we aren't able to have the cup taken from us mm. we have to suffer mm. but it also means being present and recognize that christ is present in that suffering the christ that lives and dies and resurrects in you that is you and yeah and to make this full circle i think it's important that i don't know that suffering isn't abstract right like that suffering yeah. isn't i go on twitter every day yeah, yeah and i get yelled at to be more um more woke and yeah. then i'll be more woke and then i'll be a better person like that's not what suffering is suffering at least in this lens and like what we've been talking about it means emptying yourself it means genuine intimacy genuine empathy yep. because trust love empathy those are all risks mm-hmm. and those will often be painful but if you enter into intentional community and if you enter into community intentionally you will find suffering but you'll also find life and it's funny that love is the thing that both brings about the suffering but also brings about that that unity that bringing back together of the two into the one love is costly and it is like a physical painful thing and it's necessary love causes us to suffer by emptying ourselves out in order to be brought into unity with what is. Love makes us present to the suffering, but in that present suffering, we are united with Christ. The Christ that died and, and rose is also the Christ that dies and rises in you. Mm. And we need to be present to that. And that's all we need to do is be present. Yeah. See it, experience it. And um I, I know in the latest liturgist podcast they talk a little bit about this as well, the idea of Christ and the universal Christ. Mm. And how the <laughs> one of the major impacts of the Christ story is that the realization, as Richard Rohr would put it, that Christ is everything. Yeah. And not just localized in that one person. The kingdom of heaven is within you. And we can live into that now. Mm-hmm. We can we can die and we can rise, so to speak, 
by just being present to that and realizing that this idea of self that we have that's so separate and individual and and distinct from everything else and it's like it's all about me and all that it if we can just die to that ego and experience the the christ that's a good way to be Mm -hmm. being present is hard though especially when things suck it takes work it takes work and like especially when we're living in a world that like being present means experiencing the the vast amount of suffering that come with it or other people's suffering that we have to just feel mm-hmm. and see and be and be present to um it's hard and you want to escape and you, and sometimes it's okay <laughs> this brings us back to that one episode about escapism yeah. it's okay if you need to take a break from that sometimes mm-hmm. we're just not capable but also it's important to recognize that it is the reality and that is what being present entails yeah it's hard, but that's also what, I don't know. I feel like that might be heaven. Yeah. Not so much removing the suffering, but being present in it. Yeah. And finding peace in that. And that's hard. I, I, I'm i definitely not there yet. Yeah. I mean, again, this is kind of what we've been talking about in this class with Nikayla. Like, the early church fights constantly for this transcendent concept of unity and they're constantly getting burned for it both like by outside forces that want to stop them and also like internal conflict because the more you pair people of diverse backgrounds and lifestyles the more you're going to get conflict but like they're constantly fighting and dying for that that's our easter sermon (laughs) Yeah, that was good. That was um that was surprisingly cohesive, I feel. <laughs> yeah. That came together quite nicely. It's like this is the first time we've recorded an episode just the two of us doing this in like yeah. a long time. Yeah. That's true. Like a really yeah. long time. Yeah, like cuz we had Nikayla, we had Colin, we had Ben, we had Maddie. Maddie, that's right. Wow. It's been a hot minute. Yeah, I guess the last one would be like escapism or whatever. I don't remember yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> the, the episode where we <laughs> had different definitions of probably the same thing. Yeah, and then just yelled at each other. Yeah, that was fun. That was uh... speaking of unity. <laughs> God, uh, hey, I mean, discourse is important too. It's true. It's true. Moving forward, we have a few episodes coming at you. That'll be bangers. We've got a few plans. We want to do an enneagram episode. Oh, that's true. Who do we want for that? Do we have any idea? I think the plan was we were going to try to get, like, a bunch of people to, like, submit their... Right. Their kind of, um, their type and then who they relate to and why kind of thing. That'd be fun. Um, and we can discuss that. And we could have someone on to discuss that as well, but... Yeah. Um, and then we want to do an LGBTQ episode as well. We do still want to do that. Definitely. The problem is all of our good ideas require a lot of organization and we're awful at getting things organized. Yeah, um, we also want to try to get an, uh, an expert on Ralph Waldo Emerson on the podcast. I mean, I do, at least. Yeah, Noah just really wants to talk about Emerson. I really do. It would be a I really mean, good episode. What we could do, we could get some dude who's been to, like, prison and gotten out of prison and got an over-addiction or whatever. We could get him on the episode, on the podcast. Who are you talking about? Have you, the, what's, I don't remember what the guy's name is. 
The dude who like emailed you. I don't think he'd ever went to prison. No? I I, he was, was just an thing. addiction specialist who is also a Scientologist. Yeah. Yeah, we had a Scientologist want to come on our podcast. That was weird. Um, good thing I checked to see, because they just kind of talked about the church in the email and like his specialties. And at first I thought it was a prank, but then they sent like three follow-ups. And so I had to reply. And it turns out he was a Scientologist. And I'm like, mm, I don't think I can yeah. own that one. I got, I still like the idea of bringing him on and just roasting him the entire time. I feel like that's just so dis, like, uh, it's, I can't. It's very mean-spirited. Yeah, I don't think I could justify doing that. Yeah. But, I, like, it'd be funny, but I, uh, I feel I feel genuinely bad. That's fair. I just realized, Glendon, you really didn't get, like, any courses from, like, the 19th or 20th centuries at all besides the ancients, oh, no. did you? Yeah, no, I, so I, oh, what was the last one? I did 20th century novel. I did 20th century novel yeah. um, this past semester, and then I did modern world lit with rita oh okay and i did inklings like those were the three i have very little interactions with actual like literary modernism yeah i was gonna say because you didn't get modernism no you didn't get the 19th century novel or the 19th or uh victorian poets which is still 19th century poets you didn't get romanticism no, nope. and you didn't get American literature. Nope. Like you missed out. You missed out on a lot of nineteenth century. I'm well aware of this. Like, I I can talk to you about the Renaissance and the Restoration mm-hmm. and Shakespeare and Milton. I can talk a lot about those. Anything from like Romanticism forward it gets sketchy. Modern World Live was really really good. I'm yeah. I feel like they're gonna drop it, and that makes me really sad because. That is the one course that, like, that got basically halved by COVID. And that makes me really sad because we had really cool readings in that class. Like, that was mm-hmm. the class that introduced me to Dostoevsky, um, James Joyce. Um, we read a little bit of, like, Gouda's Faust, which was good. It was just a really solid course. We read... Oh, I forgot. You also didn't get the decadence aspect of Capstone either. Jesus. That's true, yeah. It's like... I took so many courses that were based around the 19th century. I just yeah, I did not. And, like, I have, like, such a knowledge of that. That's why I can continually come back to, like, romanticism. And, well, to be fair, romanticism was a little bit prior to the 19th century as well. Yeah. By, like, uh, five years. But, like... Yeah. Man, I just, like, most of my, my stuff is, yeah, 19th century and a little bit into the 20th century. Yeah. I mean, I also took Shakespeare and, like, Milton and, and yeah. Restoration and, and all that, but, like, I'm very much m- more engaged in the 19th century. Fun fact, I used Zoom before it was cool. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, because in my second year, I had a class. Oh, I forgot about this class. I had a class with Wes Thiessen, Um, that was uh, Christian Islamic Engagement. Mm. And so it was kind of like a history of um, Islam and, like the the yeah relationships between that and christianity which was like super fun i learned a lot uh he like taught in what was it tunisia for like 20 years or something like that so he knew like the culture knew the language all these different things it was super super cool and our final paper was sort of like study a historical event and like talk about it 
or something like that, like an, a historical event of like Christian Islamic contact. And I remember looking through kind of the suggestions and being like, these all sound really boring. I'm not really invested in this. And so I talked to him about it and we had a Zoom call. He was like, here, download this thing called Zoom and I'll talk to you. And then he was like, I was on the plane the other day and I was thinking I, I, a different prompt for this class could be, or this paper could be, watch Kingdom of Heaven, the Ridley Scott movie about like the Crusades and just do a paper comparing that to like the historical event. Oh boy. Which it's right in up your alley. Exactly. I, I I think that was one of the first things that I was like, you can do this. You can just write about a movie and call it an academic paper. Um, and that was so much fun. That was a blast. Could, couldn't you imagine how much fun a film studies class would have been at Ambrose? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For those of you that don't know, they're adopting a film studies class at Ambrose after Glendon graduates. After I'm leaving. And Reed is not even teaching it, supposedly, which is dumb. It is very sad, but it won't be long before Glendon is taking film studies in a graduate setting. Yeah, that's entirely possible. Yeah, no, we're announcing Glendon is... (laughs) (laughs) I haven't decided anything, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, he's in his last. He's in his last three weeks at Ambrose. That's true. Dane, that. Oh, I I have a draft of my humanities paper. Oh God. Yeah, it's Wait, like a really. It's not even that. It's not even that long. No, it's not. It's not a like. It's a pretty rough draft. I think I might put some more touches on it, but I need to send it to someone to like see if it makes any sense. So yeah, I, might, I can read it. I might send that to you. I did send you my paper back in that day. That's true. And then I looked over it and I edited it and I was like, here are the fixes. And you're like, it's already handed in. I was under such a tight deadline there. Yeah. That was insane. I'm lucky that Sarah Joy got to read through it. Yeah. That was a fun paper though. That paper is inspiring my my grad work, which is really funny. Nice. That whole capstone class is inspiring basically my grad work. That's what a Rita capstone class does for you. Yeah. I really like a lot of the ideas in my paper. Part of me wants to like gut out half of it and just focus on the connections between till we have faces and the last Jedi because there's actually a lot, mm-hmm. but I also don't want to gut half my paper because the rest of it is like Paralandra and Noah, which is also an interesting connection. Yeah. And I feel like probably more relevant to like my quote unquote themes. I mean, till we have faces in the last Jedi or both, like authors dealing with their spiritual experiences through cultural myth and then transcending cultural myth to engage with the mythopoeic imagination. I feel like you really should read Joseph Campbell. Like really I, I have Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell. I have Hero of a Thousand Faces. I tried reading it one summer and it was really dense, but maybe if I give it another shot, I'll like it better. But I have the book. So. Yeah, so I feel like that would very much be up your alley. I mean, I know a little like my Joseph Campbell is through other people, so yeah, like I don't, same. I don't know too much. I haven't read source material. It's like me and Carl Young. Like I know about a yeah. lot of uh, his stuff through other people, but yeah, I really want to read Joseph yeah. Campbell too. I mean, my whole thing, I feel like my whole framework is like structural theory with like reader response. What? Why don't you just do um uh Lacanian? Uh, psychoanalysis of uh, yeah. the Last Jedi. 
Why don't I? I would have to read Lacan first. <laughs> yeah, true. That's the other thing I need to do when I graduate. I need to actually read all of the things in that class because I only read mine. Let's be honest. No one read anything beyond their own stuff in in that class. Yeah, that's at least true. I didn't. I think the vast majority of people just trusted classmates to teach it well enough, which yeah, they same. did. I gotta yeah. say that class made us all into decent teachers. No, exactly. Rita really prepped us for grad school well in in a yeah. lot of those classes with all those presentations. Like I feel so much better about my presenting and teaching abilities because of Rita classes. Yeah. Anyway, we're still recording. Yeah. Um. We should probably wrap. Thank you all for listening. Hope you have an enjoyable Easter filled with death. And uh, wait, actually, no, actually, I don't want that. Um, hope you have a, a, a great Easter that's that's filled with life and also death, but like mostly life. Um, Happy Death Day. Oh, God. Yeah, isn't it funny how we call Good Friday the day where we lynched, like, Jesus good? Yeah. Should be Sad Friday. Yeah, like, Michael Gunker tweeted that last night. It was, I'm like, a day. Anyway, happy Easter, happy New Year's, still on Toronto, good evening, Vancouver. Good night, Seattle. Take care. We love you.